Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. Uh, I am Joel Oster, and today's guest, we, I promise you, and I will not fail to deliver on this promise, is going to be fun. And I know that because it's Kiana McGee, and I went to her, she has a ton of pages. She is all over the <laughs> internet, uh, and, and so um, now that Donald Trump has been kicked off, she is just filling in the void, and she's all <laughs> over the place. Her Instagram page especially, I'm telling you, you can go to her Instagram page and just for hours and sit there clicking on the things and listening to it and laughing and, <laughs> hey, learning something about trademark law, and so that's why uh, we brought her on. So thank you so much for joining to agree to come on, uh, Kiana. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Joel. I'm excited to be here. I really am. Now I want to get this out of the way right out front because I, I just this these kind of things fascinate me. I interviewed a, a person a little while ago. She was uh, on the beach in Hawaii. And I was mm-hmm. extremely jealous. And then I interviewed someone uh, in Miami. And I also was extremely jealous because I am right now in yeah. Kansas City, yeah. record cold temperatures. And I oh. thought you were going to commiserate with me with my suffering because you are from Detroit, Michigan. And surely yeah. it has to be brutally cold in Detroit. So tell me about I, your environment. I threw in the towel. I'm in Orlando right now, and I believe it's 86 today. So I'm good today. <laughs> That's just I'm not good. fair. <laughs> that, that is not fair. Yeah, yesterday, oh, no, it was a Monday. I had a hearing actually in court, and I also do some public defender work on the side, okay. and I really love criminal law. And so anyway, we had a sentencing Monday, and the front half of the court is actually closed because of COVID. So they have us all entering from one side, but it happens to be the side of the courthouse that the parking is not on. And so I didn't know that until after I parked and had to walk around the whole building okay. in like 10 inches of snow. And I was like, oh, absolutely not. I'm out. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here tomorrow. I'm out of here. So we left Wednesday and, and yeah, that was Tuesday. I'm sorry. So yeah, we left Wednesday and, and we'll be here for a week. I couldn't take the cold anymore. Has it dawned on you that pretty much, uh, now maybe if you have to, but for most of our practice, we don't have to be anywhere right now. We could be anywhere. In, in Cancun. We could be in Alaska, exactly. wherever. Everything is done via Zoom it's almost. Yeah. And so it really doesn't matter where you are. I am thinking about packing up and, and just traveling somewhere. As long as it has a nice internet connection and we should have exactly. a, a, a lot of fun. But you're in Orlando. Exactly. exactly. Uh, Imagine my offense where, or how offended I was when I got to court and the client said they couldn't make it because of the snow. And it's their sentencing, of course. A no joke. And so then the judge, who his clerk sent us an email last week and said, this is in person. Everyone needs to be there. So the client is not there. I'm convinced they're either going to put a warrant out or, you know, give us a new date. And he gets up there, the judge comes, and he's like, oh, we can just do it via Zoom, no problem. I'm oh. like, are you kidding? Oh, I was so upset. I'm like, this has got to be a joke. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad it got resolved, <laughs> but I'm like, if that was an option, I wouldn't have done all this. So anyway, right? please, jump on a plane and get out of there. Get now, out of there. Now, we have, I have an argument in a case I am dealing with that is scheduled in April in Miami. And so I'm going, oh. please don't change this to Zoom. Please give me an excuse right. to fly to yeah. Miami. I don't want to be please. here. So please, you, please. Yes. If it's I'll in, keep my fingers crossed for you. Yeah, if it's in Detroit, Kansas City, Alaska, we went by <laughs> Zoom. But outside of that, you know, if it's in Miami, heck, we can go, I'll go to Hawaii. It, it would be a business expense, right? but, you know, you, you got to do it. Even better. Even better. So how are you enjoying the practice of law? Uh, I mean, I love it. I love it. Honestly, when I was in law school, I thought I was going to try to shoot to be like the next Johnny Cochran, basically. Right. Right, right, and right. I thought criminal law was going to be my thing. And 
civil law in regard to um, criminal justice reform and all of this great stuff. And I got out and maybe three months in, I realized that was not going to be the practice area that I fell in love with. It ended up being small business and trademarks. And so we completely rebranded everything to focus on small business and trademarks. And it has been amazing ever since. I've truly in love, I, I love every moment of it, honestly. Now, I'm have a ton of questions for you when it comes to trademarks uh, and copyrights yeah. intellectual property. But first, I, I'm always fascinated about how people chose the law. I mean, I, I know my own personal journey. Yeah. I, I was like, uh, for me, it was like, do I become a pastor or do I become <laughs> a lawyer? And I went to my <laughs> pastor and he said, you realize, Joel, that's one and the same thing. Did you realize a yeah, pastor? true. You, true. You, you tried to argue persuasively based upon a, a, a book that you kind of have yeah. as your, your standard. You're trying to persuade someone to, to a certain point. And so it, yeah. it's the same skill set. And uh, mm-hmm. then I learned this. This is really off topic, but you know, and I have no idea what your background is, but I'm just asking this out of the blue. Good, yeah. Do you know who Jesus reserved his harshest words for in the Bible? Do you have any oh, idea? I don't know. No, I mean, no. Who? I mean, I guess it depends on what we consider harsh. I liked all Oh, these I'm talking like four letter words, like brood of vipers and whitewashed, all these kind of things. It was no. lawyers. He, he, oh Lord! Yes, oh, it yes. was lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, even Jesus enjoyed a good a lawyer joke, and so yeah. um, the, the point yeah. there is, in the, in that day, it was Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the yeah. legal experts yeah. of the day. But hey, that's a yep. whole, that's a whole other topic. I can see it. I can see. It. And now that you pointed out that way, I'm going to go through a whole study <laughs> season about figuring this out. But yeah, I can see it. I could totally see it because they kept bringing the law up to him, and he kept yeah. saying, "I'm the flesh in front of you," and you keep bringing the law to me. Are you kidding? Oh. I can totally see it. Oh, man. It, it is a fascinating oh. study to ask yourself, why did Jesus yeah. reserve his harshest words for the lawyers of the day? And what does that say about yeah. us today? But that's Honestly, point. you know, I always joke with people and I'm like, I feel like if Jesus was here now, he'd be a defense attorney, though, because he's yes. when he, honestly, because right. when, you know, when they brought the woman to him and they said that she got caught in adultery or whatever. And they, he said, you know, if you one of you cast the first stone, he who's without sin. And no one could, you know, and so it wasn't that I was justifying their behavior, but I am giving them, I am what they call a stone catcher. And I don't know if you've ever read the book by, um, no, uh, no. just mercy. What oh, Brian Stevenson. Yeah. Just mercy. I've seen, he, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. Movie. So he has a book and at the very end of the book, it's the actual book that goes along with okay. the movie. And at the end of the book, he talks about being in a courtroom and, um, there was this older, older lady that was sitting in the back of the courtroom, watching all of the sentencings that day. And they were sitting outside of the courtroom after the hearing. And she, he asked her, you know, were you involved with one of the families? And he, she said, no, one of her sons was killed years before. And she didn't have a shoulder to lean on when the guy that got killed him got sentenced. And so now she comes to the courthouse on sentencing day just to be there for other mothers to cry on when they're, you know, going through something like that. And um, so then she leaned back and asked him, Brian Stevenson, that is, okay. what do you do? And he's like, of course, you know, right, I, right. I have a resume, but if when you, when someone tells you that's what they do for a living, your resume sounds like <laughs> peanuts compared to theirs. Right. And so he said his best way to explain to her what he does, he told her, I'm a stone catcher. Okay. And so for me, I catch stones that other people throw at, 
people who may have been wrong, but they wow. don't deserve what they're trying to give to them. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I read it, I read this book when I was in law school. And so of course I'm like, that is this the, the most amazing depiction of Christ, in my opinion, of what he does. And if he were here now, that would be him. All, you know what I mean? Not to say that we weren't wrong, oh, no. but he's here to correct all of those wrongs and be able to catch stones that we should have, we should have actually, you know, truly been given. So I, I totally agree that he, he surely did give all the legalese of the day, you know, the business and make sure that they know I am who I say I am. And you can't, you can't correct me with the law, but at the same time, he now, you know, in that same vein was was standing up for all of those as what I like to think of was a public defender of that day before we even knew what public defenders were. Man, that stone catcher uh, story you just told, it gave me chills down my spine so as good. I heard it. That it's, is an it's amazing. the very last chapter of his book, Just Mercy. And I, I believe it's okay. like the last two paragraphs he talks about, you know, sitting there with that woman. It's so good. So good. And not to get too deep into theology, because I know that's not why I brought you on today, but <laughs> you're you saying that Jesus would be a defense attorney Theologically, that has to be like absolutely right. Isn't that the, not the end of the day's scenario for everyone that, you know what, right. you're going to be on trial and Jesus is going to come in and he's going to be your right. attorney and say, hey, you know what, right. uh, I'm going to argue on your behalf. And by the way, I exactly. kind of have an inside track to the judge. And so things are going to be okay. Exactly. Um, and you know the saying, they say, you know, the best lawyers, some good lawyers know the law, the best lawyers know the judge. Right, that right. is Jesus all day. You know what I mean? Like if they say he sits at the right hand of the father, I, if I want anybody defending my case, it would be him. Wow. It would be him. That, that, is, that could yeah. be an entire podcast right there, just analyzing Jesus as a lawyer. But but maybe that's why he was so upset with the Pharisees. I don't know. Well, so I, that is a really long aside from what I was trying to get at, which is, when did you say, all right, uh, I'm going to be a lawyer. That That's my career yeah. path. I'm going to do it. Because you, yeah, you could have so- been anything. I saw your resume, and I saw that V word uh, on your resume, valedictorian. That, that's quite impressive. Oh, so, yeah. you know, you're up, you could have done anything. Uh, and, and so why did you pick law? Or when, when was so it you decided think, you want to be a lawyer? I know you didn't know this was going to be a fake talk, but it truly is. <laughs> I think um, I didn't want to be a pastor by any means, that's for sure. But when I was young, um, maybe seven or eight years old. My mom actually went to prison when I was young and I didn't really understand the criminal justice system. I didn't know what it meant, what she did, what, you know, who was a victim, who was, you know, the perpetrator. I didn't know any of that. But what I did find out when I was a little older was that there was a circumstance and the police told my mom, you know, tell us everything, you know, or you're never going to see your kids again. And of course my mom being ignorant to the law, ignorant to her rights, ignorant to everything that had to do, you know, with this system altogether, she spilled everything that she knew. And because of that, that ended up costing her her freedom. And what is that to say that she did not have some culpability in the situation? Absolutely not. Is that to say that it should have went down the way that it did? No, but because we didn't know, you know, if you don't know your rights, you don't know how to exercise them in your favor in moments when you need them the most. And so when I found that out, I knew then that I wanted to do something that helped teach people about their rights. I didn't know whether it'd be an attorney. I didn't know any of that. 
I just knew, you know, that that was some type of role I wanted to play would be able to empower people concerning their rights. Um, I've always had a love for stationery. So when I did find out what a lawyer was, it had nothing to do with the law. I just knew they had this huge desk with all okay. this paper <laughs> and pens and folders. And I wanted all of that. So I would walk around saying I wanted to be a lawyer, but it had nothing to do with the law. So I thought. Oh, and I think God. that that was just the Lord's way of pushing me towards that um, without me knowing, you know, what was going on. And so ultimately life happened and I got further and further away from believing that that was actually something that I could attain. Um, when you come from uh, a community, well, when you come from a community, like I come from, that's not something that looks like you don't know lawyers that look like, you. Okay. um, it's less than 5% of all, Af- of all attorneys are African-American. Okay. Me being African-American, of course, there's, I, when I went to law school, I only knew one African-American attorney at the time. Um, and so it wasn't something that you saw every day and it wasn't something that, you know, based on my GPA that I even thought was going to be feasible at the time. Right, so, right. Uh, and rightfully so, because an undergrad, I did everything but go to class. And so okay, it was okay. not like somebody pushed that GPA on me. I earned it. Every bit of it, I earned it. Okay. Um, and so uh, by the time I did apply, you know, to go to law school, I was rejected from every school that I applied from for, for like two years straight. And I had given up on taking the LSAT again, applying, all of that. And then one day, my brother-in-law came over and he's like, yeah. I'm going to go to law school. And I was like, oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> no joke. He is like the joke of all jokes. I thought this okay. was like a prank. And so I genuinely thought he was kidding. And he was dead serious. And in the school that he said he was going to apply to was one of the schools that I had already applied to and okay. got rejected from. And so I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. And I started praying immediately. And I'm like, Lord, if I have to sit here and watch him go to law school, like I am going to lose it. <laughs> Seriously, because this is like not fair at all. And so I promise you, the Lord was like, call the school tomorrow. And I was just sitting there like, what am I going to say? Uh, right, right. Hi, my name is Kiana. What are you guys doing? Like, what am I going to say? And I didn't get a response, but I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to call. And I did. I called the law school the next day and I'm like, hey, uh, my name is Kiana McGee. I applied a couple of years ago, just seeing if your admissions process has changed any right. since the last time I applied. And they were like, our LSAT score is now whatever it was. And whatever it was, was the exact number that I had on the LSAT score the really? last time I had taken it. Wow. No joke. No joke. So because of that, I started that. They told me I didn't need to reapply or anything. I would be able to start that fall. And I started that fall. And of course, once I did, I felt like I had something to prove because I had been rejected so right, many right. times that I wanted to be able to let them know, you know, you give people an opportunity to prove themselves, even regardless of test scores and GPAs. Oh, yeah. They can do it and they'll they'll be able to prove, you know, prove the scores wrong because on paper it didn't look like I had what it took to perform well in law school. But once that opportunity came, I promised, you know, to not let it not let it pass me by, but to show up and make, you know, the Lord proud and myself proud to say, okay, you can do this and you have you have what it takes to do this. So that's what gave me the motivation to try to make sure. I didn't know I was going to land at the top of the class, but I wanted to right, really right. be in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. See, that fascinates me to see yeah. how people 
end up where they are. Now, I, I, some of us are, are living the dream. Now, what that dream was, I mean, who knows? It's different for every person, but yeah. that's the idea for you. It seems like you, you had this dream of being a lawyer and, and maybe got to put it in your brain. It's there. And yeah. uh, just kind of sitting around, you didn't really know what to do with it, but it's still there. And even though life mm-hmm. kind of went in a different direction, uh, right. it's still there. Then one day, boom, you, it, it all came boom. together. It all came together. No joke. My mom works for me now. My brother really? works for me now. No joke. So we have a team of six um, six staff full-time right now, and it's going amazing. And it's nothing that I could have planned or foresaw on my own. When My first year in practice, I was just hoping that we made six figures and that I could finally work for myself full-time. Right. Like That right. was my overall goal. And our first year in practice, we cleared 200000 and I was like, oh, forget it it's over now I'm <laughs> going, like, right. I don't this know where this thing is going to end at but I'm, I'm coming for it all and so um I was super proud but it, like I said there was there's nothing about me or our practice or my situation that says you know there was anything different about me that says someone else shouldn't be able to do this too because if I did it honest to God anybody in the world should be able to do it because there was everything to say this is not going to happen, happened to me. And so it was just kind of like, I hope that, you know, our story and our firm and, you know, how we operate online and everything else inspires people to know that any, anything is possible. And it sounds so cliche, but it's the God honest truth. When you put your faith first, God is going to move mountains for you that you don't really deserve, honestly. And and you just have to be, you know, able and willing to give him the glory for that at the end of the day. Now, why trademarking? Because here's where I'm going at. I'm, I'm yeah. also fascinated by one's career path because there's a couple different ideas there. One is you had this idea. You wanted to be a, a let's just say, a trademark lawyer. That's why you went to yeah. law school. That was your dream since you were a little child. The other thought is, hey, uh, what door is open for me right now? Oh, that door is yeah. open. I'm going to go through that door, and I really like what I'm doing here. Wh- <laughs> which one was it? Was it? Yeah. Uh, so when I first started, we were doing general practice, and now okay. I was going to take any and everything to get to that first 100000 because, again, right. that was the goal, to just be self-employed. We were going to do family, divorce, um, child support. Okay. <laughs> you name it, I was willing to learn that area and do it. And it literally took me three months, three, four months before I realized, no, the sweet spot is trademarks. And I realized that really because I was on the public defenders list and I still do that because I I genuinely love that work. So it's still there, but it's not something that we promote or talk about um, publicly, you know, online or, you know, as far as our firm's work. But in regard to trademarking, we put all of these things on the site in regard to, you know, what our, what our services are. And immediately people began to purchase this trademark service without us having to promote it very much. You know what I mean? We would talk about your rights when you're pulled over. We talk about, you know, um, parenting rights, or we talk about all of these different things equally and promote all of them equally. But it was the one, trademarks were the one that we got the most inquiries about and the most most people were purchasing on our website as far as the service that they wanted with no questions asked. And it was just kind of like, okay, this is the practice area that I can do without ever having to go to court, right. without ever having to leave from my Florida. home or could do, yeah, I could do from anywhere at any time. And why would I not then try to, you know, simplify this thing and make this my niche area to where 
this is what we do. And we become known for this because what I'm getting paid to do, you know, one of these may be three or four public defender cases. And it's not, I don't have someone's life in my hands. Right, you know what right. I mean? Like, oh, this no, is, the risk is a lot lower. And so it only made sense economically and logically for me to go into that area because it gave me the freedom in regard to moving around and being able to practice any and everywhere. But it also was something that I love was business and marketing. Um, so it came very natural and easy to me. So once, once we did that, we moved away from the brand of the McGee law firm and switched right into gear as trademark my stuff. Okay. And it's been on the, on the road ever since. Well, let's talk about trademarking. Oh, by the way, you just mentioned marketing and you are a marketing guru. I mean, you're, you're it's just you. so natural. You go to your site. It's like, wow, she knows how to I market. That is amazing. But uh, I want to talk about trademarking. So I want to give you two stories that I, I found yeah. we talked about over this last year, just to kind okay. of get your take on them. And hopefully we can jump from here. Yeah. Into what you want people to know about the trademarking. All right. The first one cool. last year, did you hear about the Ohio State University's uh, legal issues with trademarks? No, tell me. Okay. So, yeah, this is what happened. Have you ever heard of the Ohio State University? I mean, even though I'm in Michigan, I want, right. I'm not. Yes, I have heard of. So you, you can you can talk about this other university that is. Yes. I, I don't know if that was like off limits for you, but you can no, talk about them. No, no, go ahead. Let's okay, do yeah. it. And, and for some reason, they are very proud of that mm. word, the. Right, they are the right. mm-hmm. Ohio mm-hmm. State University, and so right. oh, I did hear about this, but keep going. Okay, yes. mm-hmm. they yeah. saw a trademark, a federal registered trademark, filed the application, and everything. Right, they wanted the trademark, the word the. Now, the. let me ask you: the. if they yeah. came into your office, what kind of kite would you tell them to fly? No, no, seriously, what well, break down the legal analysis for trademarking the word the. I would honestly say it is a waste of money to try to okay. do this. And that should have been what was told from the beginning. But of course, when you're the Ohio State, <laughs> right. I guess you have money to waste, you know, and you're just going to try it anyway. But complete waste of money because that there's nothing um, unique about that word that's going to make your brand your brand. You know what I mean? Right. And so giving the word, whatever word or mark, quote unquote, that you're trying to protect is supposed to signify or point people in the direction to you to say this product or this service came from this particular person because the is used <laughs> all day right. long, and, you know, on so many different facets. There's nothing about that word is that's going to make people automatically trigger Ohio State. Right. Nobody. You know what I mean? And so it's just kind of like you can't keep that word. Waste of money from the jump. Yeah. It was a complete waste of money from the jump. And I'm not even sure Again, maybe it's because it's the Ohio State that they just have money to burn, but it was a terrible idea from the beginning. And, you know, I'm not sure what person was like, let's do it. <laughs> right, right. Someone maybe wanting to bill an hour. I'm not sure. But that's, that's <laughs> kind of a bummer. I was hoping to trademark the exclamation mark, but you're saying it's probably not going to be fruitful. Probably not. Unless you have some type of unique design, you know, you, there's what you call a, a mark, a mark trademark or a design trademark or a word mark. And the design is actual a logo or some type of icon or, or you know, element of right, a design. Right. And so if you change if you change it some type of way where it's a unique explanation mark of some type of way, you probably could. Um, but it would need to be some type of unique characteristics involved that make it unique to you and not necessarily an explanation mark. So let's break that down. Uh, let's say someone wants to get a trademark for their name. What mm-hmm. would be your analysis to that person? Um, uh, for example, I actually have a trademark of a name of comedian yeah. of law. And, and so just mm-hmm. just break down. How does what are the issues? Do you mean their one- biological name or just their brand name? Uh, well, yeah, no, their, their, their brand name. 
But actually, oh, okay. that's a really interesting thought. And it, explain how that's different from my biological name. Because if someone else yeah, got the so trademark of to... Joel. Oh, go on. <laughs> so there's Martha Stewart, who's that's okay. her biological name, but that's also her brand name, you know? And so right. she's on several thousand products, and there's it's a distinct brand as far as home goods are concerned. Michael Jordan, of course, again, that's his biological name, but at this point, it's a full-blown brand as well. And so some people do trademark their brand names, you know, for, you know, not wanting other people to come along right. and trademark Martha or Stewart or something close to that and try to come out with home goods or apparel or whatever. Um, so some people choose to want to have that protection or choose to seek that protection as well. But in regard to your business brand, you want to make sure if it's something unique that you're carving out a corner in a particular industry okay. for this, you know, name, you want to be able to say, Hey, I don't want any other co comedians or any other podcasters or, you know, YouTubers or whatever to go by comedian of law. And the best way to do that, to make sure that anytime someone hears comedian of law, comedian of law, they're going to think of Joel, they're going to say, Hey, I'm going to file this trademark with the federal government to say this mark, this name points directly to me. This should be an identifier to let you know I created this or this is a product of me. And anytime someone else decides or tampers with the, the idea of using Comedian of Law um, on their product, I would be able to have an automatic suit against this person to say, hey, you owe me X amount of whatever money you've earned while using my name because that's my name, and I'm the only one that has rights to it in this particular industry. Um, if you were making toilet paper, that might be different, you know, because right. we don't; those two things don't compete with each other. But if we're in the same industry and you're using a name that's exactly like mine or that is strikingly similar to mine, okay, maybe they did theirs as comedian Jose, and they spelled it J O S, you know, ah. instead of that's too close. It's strikingly similar. It's easy for. Um, clients or potential customers or potential clients or potential listeners in this case to easily assume that these two brands may be similar to each other. And if not similar, may be connected or not the same thing because we're not, you know, so keen to the details as the public market is. So we, we could easily be confused into buying AngelSoft and it's really, uh, you know, off-brand AngelSoft because it looks the same. It's commercially packaged right. the same as AngelSoft or whatever tissue paper um, you'd like to use. So if it's something that's strikingly similar where customers or potential clients could easily be confused into thinking it's the same or a, a very similar brand, it's too close and it, uh, and it needs to stop. So yeah. there's a likelihood of confusion about the product. I, I could say, hey, look, you can't use your name because you are confusing customers. Uh, yep. by, by, by yep. being too close to, to my name. All right. What, exactly. what, what factor does the uniqueness of a name play? Like, let's just say I, I'm looking at a cup right now. And if I yeah. saw a trademark for this cup, I assume that's going to be denied because it's just too generic. Mm -hmm. It's just like, exactly. it's just a, a description of what I'm holding. But if I mm -hmm. want to call so this cup, like Zudu, I mean, I'm just making up a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, out of thin air. It's a really bad word to, to make up. Uh, I should probably yeah. think of something better. Zook. Yeah, I have no idea what a Zook cool. is. I'm going to call this Zook. Could I get a trademark yeah. of, of yes. Zook? Does that, how, yes. how does that play so, into it? Yep. So if you have a, if you want to call it the cups and you want to sell cups, they're going to come back and say that's merely descriptive. You okay. know what I mean? And to say, hey, that's only describing the actual product itself. It's not giving that brand a, a unique name. And there's hundreds of other cup companies that sell cups. And so if right. you want to brand this, you're not going to be able to call it cups 
or the cups or the cups, as you right, the right. Ohio State would like to do. <laughs> right, right. Um, you have to give it something more unique than that. And so if you wanted to call it, is it Zoop, Zoop, Zook, right, whatever right. you said, if you wanted to call it that, that could work because it's a much more distinctive brand. And it's people can people will be able to identify that name with now cups. Um, it would be like Google. Uh, no one oh, knew what point. Google was before Google became Google. Right. But if I try to go in and, and Google, I mean, and trademark anything that has to do with the word Google now, even if it's not in the same industry or not in what they call classes of products or services, chances are it's not going to be approved. One, because Google won't let it happen. But two, because that word is so unique, I don't care if you put Google on cups, people are going to assume that that has something to do with the Google, not just, you know, a new brand of cups named Google, because that name is so unique and so dominant in that industry that, you know, anything that has that name on it is going to automatically um, trigger a mental connection with that brand. Um, the same is not true for common words like Dove soap versus okay. Dove chocolate. Dove soap and Dove chocolate, yeah, they're the same exact word, but they're much more common of a word. Not you know, the same company. Not, not the same company. Did not no. know that. Yeah, so one sells chocolate, one sells soap, you know? And so <laughs> they're two confused. different companies, but they both sell, you know, they both share the same name. And so it's kind of like, okay, how are these two companies able to coexist if they don't have the same, you know, they, they have the same name and they both have trademarks and it's the fact that they don't sell competing products whatsoever. And their names are not dominant like Google, right. where someone would automatically think, oh, Dove Soap. Yeah, they make chocolate, too. They don't. They just have the right. same name. But because those names don't compete with each other whatsoever, they're able to coexist. Now, let's say um, that, that you, you you want to get a name. Um, that someone else is using your name. Uh, what mm-hmm. can you do to stop them from using either your name or something close to it? Yeah. So the first thing would be to send them a cease and desist letter. And we like to have people served immediately, not just sending them an email that can get lost in the junk folder or not opened or ignored at all. But I think people take things much more seriously when they're served um, with, you know, legal legal documents saying, hey, you may not have noticed, but this is a federal trademark. We need to you need to cease and desist using it by this particular date. And if not, here's what's going to happen after that. We okay. have a, a much stronger response from people when that's the case. And most times people genuinely don't know or didn't realize, right. you know, that they thought, oh, well, they use an S, I use a Z. I thought that was close, you know, right. changing it enough. And when we explain that to, to them, then, you know, it's not. Most times it, it's a breeze to get them to change it after that because they don't want any, you know, real issues, but they just need to be educated on, on that issue. Okay, that, that makes sense. Now, yeah. uh, you, you mentioned earlier about names, and, and I was fascinated. I wanted to ask another question about that, so uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and ask it to you now. Let's mm-hmm. say, and I, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to assume it's true, that Joel <laughs> Osteen has a copyright on his name. Okay? Yeah. He, he probably does. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's assume. Could he keep me from using my name, Joel Oster? Because I got to tell you, a lot of people do get us confused. <laughs> they look at our names and they assume I'm Joel Osteen when I just say my name. It's like, no, I'm not Joel Osteen. I'm Joel Oster. Uh, yeah. Could he keep me from using my actual name? Honestly, if you were to try and file a trademark for it, you he could object to the trademark. If you weren't looking, you was in a similar industry, then okay. it would be he could stop the well, attempt to stop the trademark. If you were filing for it in the same industry that he, if he has a trademark, if um, if you were being filed in the same industry, we had a client who was filing for his name. Um, in the apparel class, and it's his biological name, but there's already a mark with the same exact name ah. in that class. 
and we can't get it. You know, it's really first come, first serve, even if that is your biological name. And so we either have to wait until that person's um, trademark expires or goes dead or abandoned or, you know, ask that person's consent to also coexist with them. And they're not not likely that that person's going to give you permission to have a brand name that's exactly the same as theirs. So he could, again, only if you guys were going to be um, operating in the same classes or services of ind- industry, um, unless you want to switch over and now be a pastor again. See, I don't think it should be an issue. It was, because, good, it was you know, a good call for me then. It's a good call. <laughs> exactly, I had no idea the legal exactly. trouble I would have been in. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, that, that could be, that could get touchy. All right. Let me give you another case, a recent case, to get your thoughts on this. Hey, are you familiar with the Iancu v. Brunetti case? It's a Supreme Court case dealing with uh, the tra- a trademark. And so let me just kind of lay out the groundwork of what happened in this case. And I'm going to get your, your opinion on it. Apparently Brunetti was his t-shirt designer and he wanted to, he designed these t-shirts and hoodies and it had the word F-U-C-T on it. Now, I don't know how to pronounce that word. I'm going to guess fuset, maybe fugt. You probably get the idea that this is a, the the idea is this is a bad word, right? And by the way, it was hilarious to see how the, the lawyers tried to refer to that word in open right. court. Uh, I play it right. during my classes because they said it's the past participle, the most profane word used in the English dictionary. It's like profane past participle. That's not going <laughs> to catch on on the playgrounds. I'm sorry. That's not a good <laughs> substitute. But nonetheless, he sought a trademark and it was denied by mm-hmm. the Federal Trademark Office. They said because that word is immoral and scandalous. So what, do, what do you think mm-hmm. about that? So I believe there's since either since been another case or been some type of ruling that profane words can now be a part of a trademark. So I'm not this sure. This is the case. Long, well, oh, is it okay? Yeah, and and so because I remember before they were trying to say you know First Amendment rights, there should this shouldn't be an issue, and I just felt like man, this is getting creative, you know? Because right. now are you going to tell people what they can and cannot name themselves? And I I hate to. Uh, say a bad word on the, on the podcast, especially how we went from, you know, face talk to now, the F, said, uh, yeah. but there was another brand I used to follow it was a gossip blog years ago. And her name was Nicole B I T C H, okay. but she had I E at the end. So it was Nicole, like Nicole Richie, Bitsky. but Nicole with a B. Right? <laughs> right. Right. And so it was a play on words, obviously as a play with Nicole Richie, but Nicole B I whatever and so anyway her brand became huge and it was this huge gossip site and she since you know shut the site down but at the time she wanted a trademark as well for that and and fought the same issue that oh it got denied because it had this profane word inside of it that she wasn't able to secure the brand but now um even now we have um a a a pending trademark for a trademark uh, a client excuse me that wanted to trademark a coaching class that she teaches and it's called how I told corporate to f- themselves or something like that. Right, right, right. Just like, so she basically is trying to teach people how to quit their corporate jobs and go into entrepreneurship. And it's just like, I mean, Hey, if that's what you do, okay. Right, right. You know, not my, not my brand, but <laughs> if that's what you want to do, so be it. So I'm glad that they're able to now, you know, and that that is something that's available to them, but is it, is it a touchy and it's a subject very juicy to say the least. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It was actually yeah. a six, three, all the way to a nine, zero decision. There's a lot of concurring opinions and dissenting opinions for various reasons, but uh, yeah. so it actually ranges from six, three to nine, zero. But the bottom line is, 
you can't deny a trademark because you find that word immoral because that is exactly. that's viewpoint discriminatory. Now, the scandalous one is where you got the three dissenting votes, but their mm-hmm. idea was you could interpret this um, uh, this provision to just be very limiting to say, no, that really only applies to obscene, obscenity and, and things yeah. like that. Uh, but, graphic. Yeah, I remember right. this. Mm-hmm. But outside yep. of mm-hmm. that, uh, you, you can't deny someone a trademark because you find a word scandalous in the general sense uh, or yeah. immoral. Uh, so that's, that's viewpoint discriminatory. So interesting yeah. case. Now, I am curious. I, I kind of danced around it. Let, uh, I talk about this in my class a lot, so I won't put you on the spot. If no, you were the lawyer arguing that case in court, how would you refer to that word F-U-C-T? Would you just dance around it? Like, um, would you do what that lawyer did? Is the profane past participle the most paradigmatic word of profanity in our language? Uh, would you just kind of ignore it? I- I'm just curious. I would have totally tried to pronounce it as if it wasn't what it was. I, I don't okay. know how we would, right. but I would have tried to pronounce it a different way. Like, and of course, I don't want to try it now because I'm going to completely right, trash right, it. Right, but right. I would have tried to try to pronounce it as if it wasn't F-U-C-K. You know what I mean? Right, Even right, though... Right pretty much sounds like it but yeah. it would have become a you know an olympic medalist type performance to try to come in there and not mess the word up one good time on the record so i thank god i'm not because i'm sure i would have slipped up and used the real word at least once. right 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 i mean what just makes me uh i just find a, i get a lot of amusement just imagining there was probably at one point in time in the history of this case a room full of let's say 10 lawyers all yes. billing out of 500 bucks to a thousand bucks an hour <laughs> Right, these are high firm lawyers, and they're debating this issue of how do we refer to this word in open court, and that's what exactly. they came up with. Profane past exactly. participle. All right. Well, what? Uh, give give me your 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 final thoughts on trademark. What would, what would you want the average person out there? Maybe here's another thought I, I want to get by from you. Yeah. When should a person call you? In other words, you have this idea, but they don't. You shouldn't get a trademark for every idea that you have, or else that might be you said it. a lot of exp- really expensive. So, yeah, would, any kind of guidance as to what when a person should call you? Yes, and so I, I tell people all the time. You know, if you know yourself better than anyone else, and if you've been through like twenty ideas in the last two years, right, do right. not trademark anything because it takes so long for that trademark to come back. And I mean, it can take eight months. Or it can take a year and a half. And so by the time we get this trademark um, certificate, I don't want you to have moved on to the next grand idea. (laughs) And now this thing is useless to you. So if you, you know, if you, you're, if you're that type that switches up all the time, just wait until you've committed to something. But if you are on the opposite end where you're holding out on something because you haven't secured it, or you're not going full throttle on something because you know, this name is a really good name. It's catchy. People love it. And you don't want it to get so big because you're afraid someone might take it it's beyond time for you to call at that point because now you're holding back your own greatness because you just won't trademark the name. So go ahead and trademark it because even during that waiting process of while it's going through this year waiting um, during the application period, there's still some security in knowing that if someone else attempted to try to trademark this name while yours is pending, the USPTO will take the applications in the order they're received. So as long as yours is in there first, that will get precedence over any that come after. So even though it's still pending, it's not like someone will be able to sneak in there and pay more money and rush to get theirs done before you. That's not how it's going to work. So I I think it would bring them a lot more peace and and a a lot less stress so just go ahead and start the application process that makes that makes sense all right well before yeah. we go here i do want to know because i asked this of everyone what is your favorite legal movie oh just mercy hands down that was a good one recent it but is. it's really good 
Yeah, that one. And then there was another one, but this one wasn't a real story. What is the name though? Um, Denzel Washington, I believe, was in the story, and it was. Oh, this one just came out like two or three years ago, and I don't know if you what saw it, but that? it was something Israel. Something oh, Israel. Yes. No, that's on my oh. to, to to watch list. I have not seen watch that either. Watch it, please watch it. But I'm warning you, Denzel starts crying in this movie, and it is like, oh, okay. We were in the movie theater seeing it, and a friend of mine, uh, we went with another couple, my husband and I, and the other couple's his wife was like, yeah, you're never picking the movie ever again because <laughs> Denzel crying on TV is not. I mean, on movie theaters is not okay. And I'm like, yeah, it was good. It was really, really good. Um, but Roman J. Israel, that's the name. Okay. Um, but yeah, that one is really good but just mercy hands down was my all-time favorite oh and i get it probably was triggered and i'm biased because of the book and the whole stone catcher story but that that is hands down my favorite favorite legal movie it it is a must watch uh, a recent movie and and who is the the lead actor in in just mercy um oh michael b jordan is that his name yeah him and jamie fox Yes. For uh, sure. Amazing story. So, all right. Thank you so much yeah. for on, uh, being What's on. What's your favorite one? I got to know. Well, I see, I, I have to go with uh, My Cousin Vinny still. I, I don't know why. It's an oh, oldie yeah, but goodie. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yes. I, I just purchased um, some movie posters for my, my man cave in my basement. <laughs> and I had to make sure my wife got Titanic. That's her favorite movie. And I got <gasps> My Cousin Vinny and then, of course, Rocky. Oh, my God. Well, it's worth it. That's a good one. That is a good one. If I if I'm going to find you on Instagram and I'm going to ask you in about a month, have you watched Roman J. Israel yet? It's yes, not I'm going to do it. But it's so worth it. We have been looking for new things to watch. Now that you've recommended recommended yes. it, then I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this. That's a so good. It's uh, so good. It's on my to do list. So thank you so much for uh, allowing me to interview today. It's fascinating to get to know you, and good luck there in Orlando, enjoying <laughs> the 80 degree weather. But one of these days you got to come back to the Midwest uh, and, yes. and freeze. But all right, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed for your 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 trip to Miami. But good right. luck. Thanks. Good luck. Thanks so much for being on. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.